Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? It is only a great day because we have Corey stories today. Other than that, cut the crap. We're not we're not here to play nice today. All right. This is this. How many times do we have to talk about this 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 bull the bullshit that we're seeing from the corrupt football playoff committee, whatever they want to call themselves? It's awful. It's terrible. And the fact that we were able to predict most of what happened. Um, I'm not speechless. I'm pissed. You're beside yourself, and it's completely understandable, Hummer. For those tuning in, you probably know at this point that the Bearcats took another step back this week in the college football playoff rankings. We didn't take a step back. We didn't take a step back. We were pushed a step back. We were were pushed down the rankings. We have gone. we, We started this whole process coming in at seventh in the, in the college football playoff rankings. We were then moved down to eight, a punishment apparently because of COVID. We did not have the opportunity to beat Temple. Uh, then we had a bye week. And then we have now we have now been moved down again to number nine in the playoff rankings. It's obscene, Hummer, but like you said, we put out a spoof episode this past week joking about how bad the playoff rankings would be this week explaining why Georgia would be moved ahead of the Bearcats, why the Bearcats, despite Florida losing to a losing record, three win, 54-man active roster, four starting cornerbacks missing LSU team. Who also, is, who also is getting, what, like not even accusations at this point. I think it's been pretty much verified. A, a tremendous scandal going on at that school with, with covering up. Uh, a sexual assault amongst their their players blatantly just like flaunting the law right but that's that's lsu they were the uh, they were the team that upset florida but that's the team that they're giving so much they're they're giving them so much credit you can't give them credit i don't i don't know what they're doing because you can't actually explain it that was a bad team florida lost to despite that happening despite the fact that the bearcats had an off week because the american athletic canceled the games knowing that Cincinnati and Tulsa are going to play in the American Athletic Conference Championship this week. Despite that, the Bearcats slide down to number nine in the rankings. It's, it's beyond absurd at this point. It's a parody of itself. I keep saying it. College football is a joke. There's no legitimacy to this. There's no, it's not results-based. It's not merit-based. It's all based on prestige. It's based on reputation. Ohio State doesn't even have a case at this point to be in the top four, yet they continue holding their spot firmly in the playoff at this point while playing, what, five games? Games matter. When you play games, you have a chance of losing them. The Bearcats have played eight games on the season. Other teams aren't playing them, and when they do, they lose, see Florida, and it still doesn't matter. They still come in ranked ahead of the Bearcats. It's beyond absurd at this point. It is comical. It is embarrassing. We cannot and should not be supporting a product like this. Supporting the product, it's it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And and 
Jay Bielis probably has my favorite quote, you know, basically saying that we, we should have scheduled Louisiana. We should have gone ahead and lost to them by two touchdowns. That, that's something we should have done. You know what? We should have just gone ahead and lost to USC. Maybe that would have curried some favor to, for us to jump on an Iowa State team. What, what gets me about the process, and I think I keep saying it, is that they're no longer hiding the fraud. They're no longer hiding it, and they're, they're, just, they're pulling the card that I think we've seen so, so often here over the last 12 months just in general with the world is this isn't real. Like They're just going to say, we're going to do whatever we want, and we're going to write the narrative, and you're just going to believe it because we write it. And what's, what's, what I'm happy to see is that there seems to be some, at least a vocal portion of the media who is starting to call this out. It's not fun. It's detrimental to the sport as a whole. It's this isn't something that if you're an Ohio State fan, you really shouldn't be rooting for this because you as an Ohio State fan want to play the best teams in the country. And right now, some of the best teams in the country are being held out. You know, if the fact that like, and I get now that there's a push for Coastal Carolina, uh, and there's people talking about Coastal Carolina passing us in the rankings. And honestly, I'm not going to put that past the committee. I, I wouldn't put it past them because at the end of the day, they're looking at well where were the teams that you played? Where are they ranked today? Why is college football the only sport that's still taking that really into account? They're looking what college basketball is not perfect by any means, but they're, they're trying to create a system where it's talking about the team that you played at the time you played them. You know, you're, you're looking at that kind of stuff and like Ohio state, all of a sudden they're, they're getting this benefit of doubt for a great schedule what you played Penn state. They were ranked number six. In they're the not country. getting the benefit of the doubt because of their schedule. They're getting the benefit of the doubt because they're Ohio state. They're always put into the top of the rankings. They, they largely deserve it. They're a great program, but this season you're expected. They start the season high in the rankings because they're expected to produce. They're expected to win games. They're expected to prove themselves on the field. They just haven't done it this year. Cause they haven't had the chance. They've played five games. And I want to make something clear to four Bearcat fans on the coastal Carolina front. In my opinion, we need to be clear. They are not the enemy in this situation. So when the national no. media tries to change the conversation to, Hey, maybe uh, who do you see is more deserving of the playoff? Is it coastal Carolina or is it the Bearcats? Well, we all know that conversation's a joke. What they're attempting to do is making it an either, or both of those teams, the Bearcats and coastal Carolina have done, done enough to prove themselves above the likes of Iowa state in the case of Coastal Carolina, they beat Louisiana already. In the case of Iowa State, they lost to Louisiana. There's a straight line data point that proves Coastal Carolina should be above Iowa State in the rankings. Iowa State being number six is absurd. None of it makes sense. None of it can be explained. And Hummer, in terms of it being transparent, that's where it gets good. That, to me, is a good thing for the likes of of the Bearcats and every other aspiring G5 program going forward. Because what happens, what happens now is, well, the national media and the announcers and, and the folks who thought that this was a legitimate process that maybe weren't, weren't quite enlightened by the fact that, that 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 group of five teams like Cincinnati and Central Florida and Coastal Carolina and BYU, that they actually have no chance of making the playoff. All of a the sudden, they realize this whole thing is a ruse that there is no legitimacy to it, that it's not actually merit-based, and that it's actually a club of Power 5 programs protecting each other and making sure that their P5 Invitational remains exclusive to their teams. These rankings are abysmal, and everybody sees it now. 
And frankly, the fact that everybody sees it, that's good news. So the fact that they're so bad at this that they can't disguise it or cover it up at all, I think that actually serves potential change for college football well. Unlikely, I'd say still, but it's it's a good thing that it's so transparent. It's almost to the point where you can't trust a, you honestly, it's not, it's, it's not even almost to a point. It's to a point where you can't trust a committee of 13 people who are all pretty much chosen from this, from one conference or not one conference, but the same five conferences. Basically you have a group of people determining what the pay, a group of CEOs determining what the pay should be for a fellow CEO. That's, that's exactly what this amounts to. It's unethical the way they're doing it. In my opinion, what you should be doing the poll that should be determined on this is the coaches poll. Every single co- uh, college football coach out there voting on who the best teams are in the country. They know what the, they they know what's going on. Let them decide. Let them be the committee. We don't need a 13 member committee. Give us a 300 team person committee of people who are just going to vote on who they think the best teams are. And you know what? I've we said this last week. I still don't think Cincinnati is necessarily number 4. I think we're close. I think we could be number 4. I don't if Ohio, if we had a, a season right now where Ohio State was playing the same amount of games, it, it's where it gets tough. Right now, the, it should be if you take all the undefeated teams, that's who should be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That that's what it should be. To but me, it's not. so we, we we went through the link rankings last episode, and let's just rehash them. Number one is Alabama, and that's consensus. Number two is Notre Dame, that's consensus. Number three is Clemson. Everybody also agrees on that. Here's where things get weird, and this is where. I think the committee has had a hard time and I, I, I don't want to under, I don't want to use words that are too soft for the committee. They're They've been horrible at their jobs this year. They're preparing to not put Ohio state in is what they're doing. What's happening here. They are failing to adjust to the chaos of COVID football. Everything is so thrown into upheaval because of cancellations, because of conferences starting at different times they weren't able to go through their normal process of elevating the teams gradually that they needed to elevate that they're making up for at last minute here by saying, Oh, well, Iowa state, they need two loss. Iowa state needs to, to, to skirt up in the polls. Oh, Oklahoma. We need to make sure they start catching up. They're making all of these weird last minute adjustments that is then sending teams like Cincinnati backwards in the rankings without actually losing games. It's, it's eye-opening for people that say, wait a second, wait a second. I thought if you won games and didn't lose them and were already at a certain spot in the rankings, you're proving yourself. There's, there needs to be an extremely legitimate reason for you to be passed in the rankings. Well, instead, the Bearcats have how many two-loss teams ahead of them? Georgia, Florida, one, and two, Iowa State. Three teams with two losses and two teams with one loss. I'll give Clemson the benefit of the doubt with their one loss. Uh, you got to give them that. I also give Texas A&M the benefit of the doubt uh, with their loss at the moment. Well, their loss was, I know I'm not being Mr. Like what people really want to hear with that. It's not about what you want to hear. I just think, I think right now the Bearcats should be sitting right at number six. That's where we belong. That's the only case there is. The Bearcats should be at number six in the college football playoff rankings. And the fact that they've, they didn't even start there to begin with was disappointing. Everyone understood why they started where they did. And we knew that SEC teams, might end up cannibalizing each other because of the fact that Florida was inevitably going to meet Alabama in that championship game. Well, Florida went ahead and lost to a terrible LSU team at home with fans in the stands, and they are still in the top seven. 
what's frustrating about this is starting at, at number seven with Texas A&M and Florida ahead of us, they all of a sudden arbitrarily decide to jump Iowa state who, who basically beat a menial, not that great West Virginia team. And they barely squeaked by the top 20 Texas squad, barely, you know, a six and three Texas squad. And they call that, well, that's what they've done for us lately. Then they give us the narrative bullshit of having, Oh, they have one of the best running backs in the country. Great. So now you're, now you're just wanting to give us the narrative, at least there, at least there, there, they are giving me like a little bit of a cover your cover your ass style uh, excuse there where it becomes just glaringly blatant that this is just so rigged is Florida or Florida takes a loss. They actually go backwards. They actually take a step and show, Hey, we're not that good. We lost to a very bad LSU team. One that's just mired in controversy. One that's just not good. And they still don't drop them, but they have the audacity to move Georgia ahead of us too with two losses after you've moved them below us. So what changed that all of a sudden you think Georgia's better than us? That's what, that's where this whole, that's where it's, it's BS in the sense that they're saying, well, it's, what have you done for me lately? So what you're trying to tell us in is that non-conference games don't matter. Beginning of season doesn't matter. All that matters is win the, be, be undefeated or, or I'll have two losses, but win the last three games of your season. That's what you're telling me is the only thing that matters. That's what you're. Here's, here's the thing, Hummer. You're trying to come at this from a perspective of, of explaining and reasoning and logic. You're looking at it and you're trying to, you're trying to find the reasoning behind the decisions they make. It's breaking my brain. There is no logic. <laughs> there is no reasoning. It's pure corruption. They're making decisions based on keeping the power conferences in the positions of power. They want to make sure they are protected at every single angle so that Cincinnati or a coastal Carolina, who still remains far too low in the rankings again, Coastal Carolina in Cincinnati should be ahead of Iowa State in the rankings. However, Iowa State remains at number six. They are covering all their bases to make absolutely and abundantly clear that the final four teams will come from a Power Five conference. Logic and reasoning be damned. We can't explain this, and we don't have to try to explain it. Explaining it would mean that we're trying to pick apart some methodology here. There isn't a methodology beyond make sure power five conferences get to the playoff. That's it. And that's why this is so damning. It's damning too. And look, no one's going to want to hear me say this. So it's fine. The, the, they're talking about coastal Carolina. They have wins against two current top 20 teams. Um, they, they beat, uh, a, you know, BYU last second, you know, great, great game. And you have an Iowa state team who doesn't play, but moves up simply because the committee says, well, we can't determine anybody who could have been, you know, been in the sixth spot, you know, all right, fine. If you want to punish us for not playing, like you said, we shouldn't be against coastal Carolina, then screw it. Put coastal Carolina in the six because they actually deserve it. They deserve to be in the top 10. I think we do too. I think we deserve to be in a six spot, you know, on ourselves as well. But hell, if it's not us, give it to Coastal Carolina. Let, let's, let us actually have a chance here. But it's bullshit. This stuff that they want to give us as excuses that, oh, well, one team's not playing, so we're going to move them down. But another team is playing. We're, we're not going to move them up. 
it's just Gary Barta just has such the, the, the hardest time explaining why it's so good. Basically he, they, they can't explain it. However, he's, when I hear, when I hear Barta try and explain this, he sounds like the commissioner of college basketball. That's what he sounds like to me, where he's, he's differentiating between an early season loss and a late season loss. And well, their defense has improved and, you know, things are looking better for Iowa state. Look at, look what they've done recently in terms of style and, and who they've beaten and how much they've beaten them by. That's not how college football has ever worked. Your early season results matter just as much as your late season results. Cause generally speaking, you play 12 games. Every game matters in college football, except this year, every game doesn't matter this year. And when you lose at home to Louisiana by 17, that game doesn't matter. When you're Georgia and you already dropped two games, those games don't matter. We could still get you up in the polls. You beat Missouri, you beat Missouri, who probably undeservedly is in the top 25. They've set it up and covered their bases on every level so that they can try and create these fantasy rankings of power five teams being above Cincinnati. And it's it's garbage. It's pure, unadulterated garbage. None of it is legitimate. We should not speak of it in a way that tries to explain away their logic. There is no logic to explain, Hummer. I, I can just tell you what my logic's going to be. I'm not watching. I'm not going to watch any college football outside the University of Cincinnati. You know what? I'll watch Coastal Carolina if I want to get my fix of other college football games. You know, I'm only going to – I don't want to support this. I don't want to support the system that, that's BS. And honestly, what I think we should do after we do this New Year's Six Bowl – I think we should schedule a game Cincinnati coastal Carolina on the day of the national championship at the same freaking time. Screw it. Just give them something else to watch. Yeah. I, I know there's a case to be made to just kind of spit in the face of the system and say, you know what, uh, we're going to, we're going to just, we're not going to, we're not going to indulge you. However, there's a lot of financial implications to that. Uh, I don't know and understand all of them. There's not uh, so I financial pretend implications to, for me not watching it. <laughs> certainly, but I, I will say this, and let's let's come at it a little bit from a UC perspective here. So you're you're the athletic director, you're John Cunningham, you're Luke Fickle, but but I really want to put more of this on John Cunningham. When your school is continually getting kicked in the face by the college football selection committee, uh, in terms of hey, we don't really have any reason or 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 why to explain you moving down in the standings, but we're going to do it and you're not going to do anything about it. I want to see our, our, our AD fight for the program. Look at what Des Ritter, Luke Fickle, look at what this defense has accomplished. Look at what Marcus Freeman is getting done. Look at how high quality this football team has been this year. It's time for Cunningham to get loud about this. To get there loud should about be, anything. He's been the most quiet AD in the history of ADs. And, and generally speaking, I don't really care. I don't usually care if an AD is behind the scenes trying to, to work his magic. I don't know what's happening in terms of angling for future conference realignment discussions or scheduling or whether or not basketball is going to be in an MTE. I don't necessarily need announcements on all that stuff all the time. Um, you know, a, a big talking point this year has been fans in the stands and and some folks have been upset about the lack of, commu of communication there. Here's what I do know, though. When your team is getting absolutely robbed, just criminally robbed in the college football playoff rankings, and this matters. This matters in terms of perception. It matters in terms of recruiting. 
It matters in terms of funding and finances and revenue. Fight for it. Get out on every single national show that'll have you. TV, radio, get out and fight for the program. Let Make sure everybody understands Call how wrong this was. Call Levitard. I'm sure he'll have you on. He's newly independent. He's free to get... Not quite yet, but Not he, quite he's, yet. he's probably going to, to talk as though he is. But yes. You make a great point because like going back when we had uh, El Prez, what's, why can't I think of the greatest president in the history of this university? Uh, Santa Ono, hottest co- hashtag hottest college in America. Uh, a guy who fought for the athletic program, even as, a, as a, you know, an ordinary uh, university president, Mike Bone, I thought was a pretty outspoken athletic director himself, always championing it. That's the one thing I just don't feel like we hear enough of from Cunningham is championing the programs in a loud, boisterous way. You know, you as an athletic director for this for a school like Cincinnati too, you're also a marketing representative. You have a lot of weight behind you. When you say something, your quotes are going to get picked up by the national media. The same thing, John, maybe even more so than John Brandon's quotes would because they expect John Brandon to say something. You know, they or uh, Luke Fickle to say something. Those are guys that are expected to say stuff at press conferences. You know, you really rarely do you get the the athletic directors coming out and having a, a nice press conference. Right now, call press conference, call press conference, and express your thoughts on what's going on. Well, I'm, get it I'm picked not, up by the national media. I agree with you. This isn't for Luke Fickle to do. Luke Fickle's coaching the team. He's working with the players. He's getting the team ready for the American Athletic Championship game. That's what his job is. This is John Cunningham. This is a moment for you to shine. Do it. Get out there. Make your voice heard. Not only Bearcat fans want to hear from you. We want to hear someone in our program having our programs back to say, this isn't right. And what's happening is ludicrous. Someone needs to explain it coherently, which we know they can't. Someone needs to be held accountable for it. The system needs to change. Demand something that at least is making waves so that we try and progress this thing going into the future. We need playoff expansion. We need system alterations that make this a much more fair playing field for teams like Cincinnati who are recruiting like a power program that are continually dominating in their conference. And that's trending in the right direction for us right now. We're recruiting better than every other team in the American athletic conference. We have the best coach in the conference. We have stability. We have excitement. This is rising. We're not going anywhere. We're going to continually be an outsider fighting to be included in the college football playoff. John Cunningham needs to fight for it now so that we're laying groundwork so that this garbage doesn't keep happening. Well said. You know, the stability of the program. Look, here's the thing. Right now, the conversation around this is so, it looms so large right now in the media and the college, in the college corrupt football landscape that next year it presents an awesome opportunity for this squad. A normal year, there's going to be, there's the, the COVID vaccine is going to be out by all means. Next year will be a normal football. Op- it, we will be back to normal football sports college in general operations fans in the stands the works we get opportunities to play what should be a great indiana team and a great notre dame team 
we have an opportunity next year. If we run the table, they can't keep us out. They can. They, they can't. can't. They won't be able to next year. They can. The mess that they're in right now, they're not. Next year, don't kid yourself. Be, I'm not. I am. I am kidding. Don't kid not, yourself. You know what the college myself, dude. College football can keep us out. They've just proven they can. We're undefeated right now. We got to sixth in the country. We started the playoff rankings at seven. We're at nine, and we've done nothing wrong. They can and they will keep us out unless everybody is fighting for change. Unless John Cunningham is rallying a nation behind demanding college football change. How ridiculous this is. Here's why I'm so revved up about John Cunningham, by the way. All I've seen so far is a gif. He took to Twitter after the announcement, just like me, Hummer, just like you, just like every other Bearcats fan out there. And he posted a gif of Rodney Dangerfield saying, I don't get no respect. Uh, that's our job, buddy. Our job is to get angry and butt hurt online. That's what we're here for. Our AD needs to be getting actual things done to making actual announcements. I don't need Twitter fingers. We need him loudly speaking to anybody who will listen about why this is absolutely bananas and wrong and corrupt and broken. I'm gassed. I'm gassed, Hummer. I don't know why. I still hold hope that no matter what happens next year, we're gonna have. We're just gonna have the resume. And it's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna be different just because of the resume and the amount of outrage that there is this year. That how blatant it is. The guys that are talking about it in the national media. Look, John Cunningham needs to do his part to make sure that the narrative isn't forgotten over the off season. I think that's his new job. Is after this season, we got to talk about it now, but you got to keep talking about it all season. This needs to be an all-out media blitz. You know what else is irritating to me is that our our official go bearcats twitter is is still keen on taking this whole thing very pc i'm not saying you need to go you know necessarily lowbrow but express some outrage when you see that we get placed at number nine instead they sent out a basically like a congratulatory tweet like we're proud of number nine but we're proud of what the football team has accomplished that is that is not what we're saying what we're saying is you need to be outraged that we are getting disrespected take a page out of uh, the washington twitter the university of washington's twitter and get a little feisty I saw interact Spencer, with some of these people. I saw Spencer Tuckerman actually say that they had not planned a number nine graphic. So they had to basically last minute change the graphic because they had planned a seven and they had planned an eight. It could and have been had, absolutely hysterical and just written a hand drawn nine and said, we weren't agreed. expecting this. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> uh, here's what I want to point out to you though, about it's bailing the committee out. It's bailing college football out to dare to talk about next season. We don't know what next, ne what's going to happen next season. We're not a team that's guaranteed to have these unbelievable runs where we're undefeated. We don't drop a game. Everything comes together in terms of the talent on the roster. We don't know if Des Ritter is the quarterback for the team next season. We don't know if Marcus Freeman is our defensive coordinator. We don't know what kind of coaching turnover could happen down the line. We don't know what players are replacing our senior leaders that are, that have, basically largely been responsible for a dominating defense. There's so much change and turnover that we cannot bank on next year being the year. This year is the year. This is the most special year in Bearcat football history in terms of how 
how quality this team is. And I know people will point to 2009. This team's more talented than 2009. It's more legitimate than 2009. It has a better culture, a healthier culture, more stability. Brian Kelly was already one foot out the door at this point. So what you're telling me is, is to stop acting like I'm from Cleveland and talking about next year because we're from fucking Cincinnati. (laughs) That's right, Hummer. Let's leave it there, buddy. We've got a great conversation following this with our buddy, Corey Sims, former Bearcat team manager of the basketball team. Like I said, we're going to be having him on regularly and really it's just casual. We're going to, we're just going to talk to a, to a buddy about days of Bearcats basketball past. Uh, We also talk about the current team. It's a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Hummer, anything else? I feel like I could talk and rant about this for hours, but it just goes around to the same thing. You try to bring logic to an illogical situation. You know what? Let's enjoy the team for what we have. Let's watch a great game against Tulsa this weekend. We're going to win. This is a game where if, if we, if we can, you know what? Extra style points, even if it doesn't get us anywhere, beat the snot out of them. I still am waiting for my shutout this season. So let's put up the shutout this weekend and then let's go in and beat whoever bullshit, bullshit power five school that they're going to throw at us. Uh, You know, they want to throw George at us. Great. You know, Bearcats eat dogs for dinner. That's great. Uh, Iowa state, you know, screw them. Don't even, it's not going to be Iowa state. They're going to lose to Oklahoma this weekend. Oklahoma is going to jump us in the standings next week. So we're We're going to have to, by the way, I want to, I'll mention one more thing about these stupid rankings. So Florida loses to LSU at home with a full stadium, by the way. And how many spots did they move down? Two spots, one spot, two Florida. Florida? Uh, They barely moved down, right? Like it's, it's a marginal, it's a marginal adjustment. They moved one stop, one spot below Iowa state. Okay. So they moved down one spot after losing at home to a terrible team. What happens to Iowa State when they lose to Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game? That's a better opponent. And what are they going to do? Are they going to only move down one or two spots? No, I guarantee you Iowa State moves outside the top 10 after that game because they pick and choose consequences. But guess who's going to shoot past the Bearcats after that? Oklahoma. This is all ridiculously rigged. It's transparent and it's super predictable. That's what I hate so much about it. I'm kind of, what was I saying for the chaos? I think I was texting you this. Am I hoping from a chaos perspective? Are we hoping Notre Dame beats or loses to Clemson? We don't care. Exactly. And now, Corey Sims. We are now joined again by the man himself, former Cincinnati Bearcat basketball team manager, Corey Sims. Corey, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast again for Corey's Stories. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me again. Uh, I guess it uh, got enough of a reaction the last time that you could invite me back. I mean, it got enough of a reaction from the two of us alone. I mean, I know people <laughs> loved it, uh, but I I can't get enough of hearing what the dynamics of of the team back when Mick Cronin was, was coach. And I think there's probably a lot of things that you went through during those first four years that are relatable 
to what we're seeing with John Brandon in the first two years of his tenure as the Cincinnati Bearcat coach? Yeah, it was, um, you know, we started talking about this a little bit last week, right? Like tough start to the season and, and what's this going to look like? I had to go back a little bit because I remembered, you know, I remembered the Wofford loss in like 2006, um, 2007. Um, I remember, it, you know, but, but if you look at like our non-conference record mixed first year, it was actually fairly solid. You know, it was just all of a sudden, I mean, we had wins against NC State at, at fifth third. We beat X that year. We beat Temple up in Atlantic City in a tournament. Um, we, but, but then had bad losses at home, like UAB, Wofford beat us by one at home. Um, so I was just kind of going back, running through some of those. And then even the next year, like 2007, 2008, um, we, we actually had a pretty solid start to the season again I you know that that year that team was improved but like our first conference game was at Louisville on New Year's Day and I remember watching this actually it's 2 30 New, New Year's Day we beat Patino and the Cardinals by 58 57 you know to start Big East play we lost at home versus St. John's and then all of a sudden we play Syracuse and we beat Syracuse by eight at home um, then we beat Villanova at home. We're three and one in conference play in the Big East, like next second year. So I know we're off to a rough start right now, but um, there's something to be said that that uh, once we get in the conference play, we might see what what this team is really about. And, and we learned the same thing last year. I mean, the off the non-conference schedule last season was pretty poor. Seven and five records some some very bad losses in there. Uh, we the famous one is Colgate with Jaron Cumberland shooting a three from midcourt. Uh, but then in conference play, things settle down. You, you go on a winning streak. Still some funky play, but at the end of the season, you're uh, you're tied for the for first place in the conference, and you win the tiebreaker, and or, you know you win the conference. So it's a long season, especially this year. Given which may not be a long season, it's probably the wrong word to use. But there's a lot of games left to be played, and the Bearcats are two and two. I just I think it might be fun just to get into the team a little bit, Corey, before we even get going into your stories here. Cause I'm, I'm, you're a Bearcat fan. You're diehard. You, you, you ride with this team and it's just, it's been interesting watching the team. I mean, now we know that Mamadou Diara is not going to be a part of the roster for the rest of the season. That means more Rapalis. That means more Chris vote. Um, it means you're stuck with a, with a profile of center that's been getting exploited and beaten defensively throughout the first four games of the season how how have you watched that as a as a former manager of Mick Cronin where if we were known for anything we were playing excellent excellent defense elite defense under Mick Cronin and that simply has not been the case so far this season no it certainly hasn't uh it's hard for me you know I know a lot of people didn't like Mick's style of basketball you know offensively we've talked about that too right like it it was painful at times um, but for me, it's more painful to, to watch this team have such unathletic players in the middle of the paint that aren't rim protectors, um, that are constantly out of position, which then results in them fouling, 
or causing other players to foul, right? Um, so it, it's just the defensive liability that some of these players are is painful for, for me. To get out-rebounded by Tennessee by 11, you know, to offensive rebounds 14 to 6, um, that just didn't happen under a Mick Cronin basketball team. And so as painful as his offense could have been at times, um, watching the way that this team is played defensively uh, and getting out-rebounded is, is painful to me. It's got to be a bit uh, vindicating for you in some respects. Because, look, I, I'll fully admit I was a Mick Cronin skeptic by the end. As when, he's, when he's out the door heading to UCLA, I say farewell. Thanks for the 13 years. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss some things. I'm going to kind of miss you being public enemy number one and embracing the fact that just everybody in the nation hates you. Uh, I, I kind of like the fact that we, we get to come to your defense. But then I wasn't going to miss the inept offense, the – uh, the, the tantrums on the sideline as your team is blowing a huge lead in the tournament. There were certain things I just, I was not, I was not uh, regretting saying farewell to, but I like having you on for this, the other perspective of, look, it's grass isn't always greener necessarily. And there's going to be struggles and it's way early in John Brandon's tenure. And it's, it's, we're not making any, any sweeping indictments, but there are questions to ask and, uh, defensively, the drop-off has certainly been something to watch, especially just the, the layups given up here early this season. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny is, like, I was talking to somebody about this, the Nevada loss, right? Like, you know, <laughs> March 18, 2018, right? They blow, what, a 22-point lead, yes. eight minutes. Oh. <laughs> I get it. But, but I think people also forget um, – you know, Hugs had some pretty epic meltdowns. Like, how I, dare you? How my, dare my you? <laughs> my memory might be serving me incorrectly here, but I think when we were the number one seed in the tournament, Steve Logan senior year, we blew a 26-point lead to UCLA um, in the second round of the tournament and lost in overtime. You'll you'll have to check my facts, but um, and yet I don't remember that kind of gets. Was it a 26-point lead? Are we sure on that? I, I, we were, I'm pretty confident 22, 24, 26 points. I was a young whippersnapper, UCLA. but I'll say this. I remember that that UCLA team was underseated. This was maybe I'm repeating all the same talking points, but Jason Capono got Zurich, uh, Matt Barnes. Was he on that team? I, I can't remember, but, but the, the point, right. Like the Nevada loss is painful, right. But it's happened to us before. I mean, shoot, go ask Virginia how it felt to be the first number one to seed to lose to a 16th. You know what happened the next year, though? They bounced back with a uh, a title, Corey. They bounced back with a title uh, the ne- the year after our 22-point loss. By the way, not 22-point loss, the, the year after the Nevada loss, which I yeah. still maintain is the day the Cincinnati and Mick Cronin relationship died. Like, that was the moment. Um, all you the lost the fan base. The fan base saw, was gone. After the Iowa loss the next year in the first round, which again, I think we had a 10 point lead at halftime. Um, that's that was because that was pent up frustration from the prior year and, and the and the excuse making. So here's the thing. Huggins made a final four, made an elite eight, tons of great teams, memorable teams, tremendous personality. I mean, come on, you know, there's a difference there, Corey. Don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> Well, there, there is, and, and that's part of it too, right? Like the larger than life personality. Um, I know in the last podcast, I had a story about Gary Williams 
Um, I cannot say that I was there for this story about Gary Williams, but um, the the rumor was right. Like Hugs could Hugs could just he had a hollow leg, right? He could just drink the night away, wake up the next morning, you know, come into practice, run a practice, do it all over again. Um, Looks like he still can. That's right. That's right. Yeah, although he's lost lost some weight and has he the room. Yeah, he's lost some weight, believe it or not. The, now the rumor is he's not drinking anymore. So I, I don't, uh, I don't know. But that, that uh, and in like two years, West Virginia will win a national championship. <laughs> <laughs> but the the story about hugs apparently is you know there used to be all these great opportunities for like AAU tournaments, right? And like you you'd have these coaches show up and and. Um, well, I mean, shoot, UC, UC had the Adidas uh, huge camp for like two seasons, two years on our campus. Um, and then the NCAA changes the rule that you can't have these, these uh, tournaments on college campuses anymore. And we lost it. Now I think it's an indie. Um, but I mean, for a couple of years when Mick was there, my first couple of years, you had you know, Ben Hallen and Coach K and Hugs and all these major coaches coming onto the campus because we had in the fifth third arena, the way it used to be set up, when you pulled those bleachers back, you had, um, let's see, one, two, you had seven courts in fifth third arena. And then you went down into the Cincinnati Rec Center, right? And you could get another six courts there. And then they would set up a court or two in the armory. So you, you could have 14, 15, oh, and the practice gym. So, I mean, shoot, you had 15, 16 courts all within walking distance. So we had this this great tournament here. And the story with Gary Williams is hugs would be at the bar typically after the tournament, right, in the hotel. And um, apparently coaches would try and find their way to, to sneak into the bar where or sneak around the bar, like if it was in the hotel lobby. So they wouldn't have to see hugs because they knew he would holler at them and get them to come in and have one. And then that wasn't just one, right. It would lead to two and then it would lead to three. So the story that I heard about Gary Williams was one night he gets roped into sitting next to hugs going drink for drink with him. And the next day, the, as coaches were coming out of their hotel rooms, Gary Williams was just kind of propped up next to his door, like with his hotel key in his hand, but just like didn't make it into his hotel room, um, which just like reiterates why I loved watching Gary Williams on the sideline. Like whether that story's true or not, um, I mean, it just kind of like epitomizes how great it was to run into him at the Maui Invitational too. Yeah, and just the idea that you know the Huggins, the Huggins legacy just lives on. He's such a He's such an off-court icon, right? The the personality, the relationships he has with other coaches. I'm sure, you know, Gary Williams is propped up against the door. Huggins is, is still at the bar getting one last drink in before practice. Well, yeah. Who, who was it telling us of that, the story about Hugs, where I guess the, the, was it the, the rule was if you won the away game, you got to go out after the game. The players got to go out and basically do whatever they want, run, run the city. And was it? It was either this Leonard was Stokes. This it was, was Leonard Stokes. Stokes. Yeah, was talking about Kenyon Martin's twenty-first birthday that they they had beaten beat down a Boise State team, and and went out to have some some fun 
Uh, he wouldn't quite elaborate on the kind of fun, but it's it's the kind of fun you typically do on a 21st birthday. And I was just, I could see, I could totally see everything that people say about hugs being true. Cause he kind of had, he seemed to just have that attitude. Oh yeah. You won. Go do whatever you want. Oh, you lost. Get back in the room. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Like was Mick Cronin, a guy that would go throw some back with his, with his senior managers and or assistant coaches. Um, you know, Mick's more of a cigar guy than he is like, uh, like loves a good stogie. My man. Um, <laughs> um, Why don't we get score, rid of him? Score one for old Mick. Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> this is a story on Dave Andrews, our strength coach. Did you guys, do you remember Dave at all? I do. Was, was he bald and thick? Oh yeah. And he played, yeah. played football at Ohio state. Um, just an awesome guy. Um, and, and now he's, he's doing big things. He's, he's in football and he's a strength coach. I think he's out at Iowa state now as their head strength coach. Um, <laughs> we're in the Maui Invitational ironically and, and Mick sitting on his, um, he's in his hotel room. He's watching film and Dave was up there and, uh, I I had brought some food up to Mick. He he was upstairs watching film, so I'm I'm up there and and Mick's like, Dave, you want you want a cigar? And uh, Dave's like, he just had this like real heavy like accent, and he's like, that's an amen. Yeah, I'll I'll take a cigar, you know. And and Mick's like, I I don't know if you can handle this. This is this is a heavy hitter. And Dave, like everything was a challenge to him, right? So like he like stands up in his chair and he's like, Mick, I'll rip that tree limb off that effing tree and start smoking that if you want. Like, you know, just like complete insult to his manhood over a stogie because Mick said it might hit a little bit hard. Uh, uh. So <laughs> Dave was the best, man. I've got so many good Dave stories um, just sitting there shooting the shit with him uh who, but yeah who, Mick, well who like so dave you got this guy i'm gonna rip a branch off a tree and smoke it for you mick <laughs> were there any times or stories about him where he actually did get challenged by a player or a coach and you saw him go after it complete the challenge or come up short or just a story like that where he actually got after it a little bit uh yeah one of my favorite uh dave stories too is Mike Williams, his sophomore year. So, you know, Mike Williams had to sit out <clears throat> Mick's first year. Adam H. and Mike Williams. Mike Williams was a transfer from Texas, right? Uh, power forward comes in. Um, and, and realistically, the way it was sold to me, I, I can't remember. You guys have had to check this too. If Mike Williams was a McDonald's All-American or if he was, you know, he was highly recruited. He, he was, went into yeah, Rick, he was a McDonald's All-American. Yeah, and he went into Rick Barnes' offense down in Texas, and and he was the four there. And I think he, like, the offense did not run through him. He he, he just was really frustrated, and so that's how we ended up getting him because he was going to be able to come here and and basically, hey, Mike, you can dominate, and and we'll run the offense through you. So, it's uh, he he doesn't get the waiver from the NCAA. Doesn't get to play Mick's first year, so he's practicing with Davis second year. And, you know, when we were in practice as managers, we would get this pad out 
and two managers would be there and it, and it you know, it, it kind of looks like the pad that's on a football tackling dummy, right? And it's got a strap and you're just sitting there trying to, to beat the big man with it. You're trying to push him off the block. And, you know, I'm five foot 11, right? Like, I mean, I would hold my own for a little bit, but you get elbowed in the face and pushed around. And, um, well, Dave would get in there on the pad with these guys and he would love it, right? Like he would just absolutely go to town on these guys trying to push them off the block. And we're in the big East, man, you know, like, um, you had to prepare these guys for for Big East play. So all of a sudden, Mike Williams and Dave are going at it. And Mike is, is backing Dave up in the paint, and his head flares back and hits hits Dave right in the face. And all of a sudden, Dave's mouth is just filled with blood because his head hit him so hard that, like, his two front teeth, like, went to the roof of his mouth. Like, went, you know uh, – parallel to the top of his mouth oh. instead of perpendicular oh. and and dave's initial reaction is throws the pad gets rid of the pad and goes let's go let's go like he's trying to finish the play you know <laughs> come on come on mike and mick blows a whistle and he's like dave what are you doing you're bleeding all over my floor you know, Fluker was the trainer. He's like, Fluker, come get Dave off of off of the court. So he takes uh, Dave into <laughs> into the locker room, gets him cleaned up, and Dave immediately has to go see a dentist for like emergency, like dental surgery. That's all and I can think comes, about right now. <laughs> yeah, right. So Dave's all of a sudden walking off the court after he got cleaned up by Fluker to go to the dentist. And he's still barking at like Mike Williams and wanting to come back on the court to like finish this play out. Um, he just Dave was the toughest SOB that that I think I've ever met, and, and he's awesome. That's why he's great at his job. Um, lots of good Dave stories there of how he was kind of able to motivate motivate our guys over the years. We could use a Dave right about now. We could use a Dave, you know, working with Chris Vote in the post on how to grab a rebound. <laughs> Well, and like you were saying, I, I think this the strength coach um, leaving over the, the off season, you know, maybe there's something to be said to that because I, maybe I'm wrong, man. These guys just don't look like they're in shape. This ain't um, Northern yeah. Kentucky anymore, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, it's so hard to judge, right? It felt like a big loss at the time when we lost Mike Rayfelt to Connecticut. He actually posted a video today of, of Connecticut's weight room. And it was sort of, it, everything feels like a subtweet when you lose a guy to another school and he's posting how good it is at the new place. Um, but as a, as a fan, what can I do to really assess whether or not Stuart, the new, you know, head trainer for, for the Bearcats basketball team is doing the same job that Ray felt did. But I do think like fouling, reaching in more, not moving your feet as much. Those all could be symptoms of a team that is less physically conditioned for the rigors of the season. Right. Yeah, without a doubt. And and I think COVID has something to do with that too, right? Like um, yeah. e even in um, talking with, with a couple guys that are still in the business, right? Like they, they talked about how in the off season, it's like when these guys weren't even allowed on campus, you know, it's like, what can you even do, right? At that point, you can tell guys to, to try and stay in shape, but there's a difference between 
staying in shape and running and being in basketball shape and in midseason form. Um, I think that's also, yeah, I've heard that a lot of guys are, are really focusing on their offense right now and practicing more on their offense and their defense because if somebody does get COVID and then they're shut down for two weeks, what that could do to your offense um, it would certainly be much more detrimental than and potentially your defense. And so guys are trying to get their offense in for the year a little bit earlier and, and change their practice schedule around. So since the last time we talked to you, I'm going to pivot here a little bit. The last time we talked to you, that was before we had played in the most recent Crosstown shootout. We all know what happened in that game. Tough game throughout. And then the last six, seven minutes of the game, Bearcats completely uh, – went flat on offense for lack of a better word. And, and that's after a very inept defensive performance as well. The, the MO with Mick was always that he downplayed this game, that he just didn't, didn't care as much about the Xavier UC rivalry. He didn't care as much as he should have. There's obviously a lot been made about John Brandon's video over the summer that, you know, we're making sure this game happens. This game matters. We don't like them. They don't like us. It, what, what do you have to say about that with respect to Mick, right? And being a part of the program is it, did he really view it as just another game? Or do you think that he did, he bought into the the hype and wanted, wanted that game just as much as any other, if not more? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think sometimes people forget like Mick was 34 years old when he got the head coaching job at UC, right? He had some growing up to do just like, um, most 30 year olds do. Um, God, and here, he, he what are you talking about, man? I'm, I'm fully grown right up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a real was. boy. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm talking about me. If I would sit here and think about um, being 34 years old and taking over, you know, head coaches of a prestigious you know, top 10 college basketball program of all time. And, and, uh, and the history and, and the pressure of coming into the Big East Conference, right? You know, second year in the Big East and then also having to rebuild a program. So I will say like that first year, you know, when we beat X uh, at home and we're completely overmatched, uh, that was that week of practice leading up to X was so hard. Like we had, um, we had to go by volleyball knee pads for the guys for and, and elbow pads because we were doing so many loose ball drills because Mick Mick just wanted them to every ball was going to be ours right like every loose ball like we were going to be we were going to be the toughest team out there um, I think what happened a little bit is he realized that that week of practice because I also think it was like we had finals or they had finals. So we truly had a week off to prepare, which was just way too much time for the X game because you practice so hard and you get so, so excited for it that by day three or day four, all of a sudden, you know, it, it's kind of like, man, when, when's this going to get here? Right. Um, I think he learned from that experience that you can't hype this up to be any bigger than any other game, right? It's, it's still, it, it equals one, whether it's in the win or loss column. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it was unimportant to him, but I think it also, um, 
he had to kind of put it in perspective. Okay. A... But X, X week was always fun, man. Like preparing for X was always a good time. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot of talk after that game, after that loss for the Bearcats this year about, about it only being our second game of the season. X had five games under their belt at that point, And we scheduled it too early or, I heard someone call into Brandon's show and say we did them a favor by playing the game and we shouldn't have played the game. And I just think if X Play was talking that way, if X was talking that way after after we beat them, we would find that so pathetic. Just yeah, we, we, we're playing the game. Beat the team. We're, we're the better college basketball program. This should be nothing. We should be beating these guys more consistently. So I'm I'm frustrated by it all. I think uh, I'm glad that Brandon seems to care about the game. We certainly didn't put up the type of fight that you need to have to win a crosstown shootout. I mean, you the the way that Keith Williams was letting guys drive by him in that game, the lack of rim protection, the shooting percentage that X had at the rim was was embarrassing. I'd say it's gotten better since then, but that was that was a disappointing performance. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I'm looking at some of the stats, right? Like X shoots 40% from three, we shoot 24%. Um, but here we go. Like they went to the line 25 times, we went to the line 15. Uh, they made 20 of 25 free throws, they shoot 80%, we shoot 67%. Um, you can lead that to, right? Like bad defensive positioning. Right. And, and that the Keith Williams just straight line, cross your face right into the paint as a senior with two years under under Cronin. I mean, his closeouts were bad. Everything was bad. So I do think there's something to be said that X looked like a team that had played five games and we looked like a team that had only played one. Um, but, you know, it, you got to deal with the cards that you've been dealt. Yeah. We, we opted out of playing in, in MTEs. We didn't, we opted to not have extra games under our belt because we didn't want to travel. So it was all calculated. It was all a choice by, by the athletic department and coaching staff at UC. So to reference it after the fact with hindsight, as if that's the reason that we, we lost the game, I think is a bit, eh, it's a bit soft. But Corey, um, any any other things you wanted to touch on? Because before we let you go, I did want to talk to you a little bit about your involvement with the program, how you're staying involved with UC, plans you've got down the line. Uh, any any last parting thoughts here this week? Yeah, so I'm going to do a little shameless plug here. Um, so when I was a manager, I worked, worked my way up to become the head manager, and, and there's two manager scholarships. And you know, part of what I want to do is try and pay that forward. So a couple of years ago, it started working with the athletic department where trying to get a fully endowed men's basketball scholarship. Um, and so if, you know, the thing with managers, right? Like we're there before the players and coaches arrive, we're there after the players and coaches arrive. Um, it's grunt work, you know, but for me, it, it instilled a lot of work ethic, um, you know, let's be honest, washing some sweaty laundry is not the most glamorous job, right? Um, but there there came a lot of good perks with it too. Um, and, and getting some scholarship money was important for me. So I'm trying to pay that forward. Um, for those of you that don't know, like you see, there's only a few endowed scholarships. And the way it works, right? It's like, 
that comes directly out of your athletic budget for the football team or the men's basketball team. So <clears throat> for instance, like if you think about Luke Fickle and what he's doing right now and has a lot of in-state athletes, well, that's saving him $20,000 an athlete out of his budget that he doesn't have to pay the university times, you know, 30 or 40 students, right? That's, that's significant money. Um, it's not like these kids just get to go to, to school for free and the athletic department doesn't have to pay the university for it. So my goal is if we can get a fully endowed men's basketball scholarship, then um, that can go to the head manager every year. And that would then help the men's basketball program because that's now, you know, 10,000, 12,000 bucks a year that isn't coming out of their budget to pay for one of the manager scholarships and can go to, to other benefits in the program. Very cool. So how, how are you going about trying to accomplish this? Are there ways that other folks can support that scholarship? Cause it is, I mean, that's a tangible, what you're laying out is a tangible benefit to men's basketball and that you're saving them money in the future. Like this is, these are resources that they can allocate in different ways. And that's certainly going to be to the betterment of the program. How can regular folks help you with this? Yeah, without a doubt. So um, I'll send you guys a link where hopefully you can put it in the notes of the podcast and uh, people can go on there and, you know, five bucks, 20 bucks, whatever, you know, it'll all add up. We've got to get to, I think it's 250 grand right, to, to get to a fully endowed scholarship. So I'm also hoping that um, as we can get more awareness, right, like some of the boosters along the way that have been directly impacted by managers, some of the former players, right, that that all know how um, hard the managers work will step up and, and start contributing to this as well. I know there's a lot of need out there for the athletic department right now, but this is a project that I'm, I'm super passionate about. I love it. Well, we're happy to spread the word. Uh, send us those links. We'll get them posted in the show notes. We'll post them on Twitter. And we know a few guys. We'll talk to a few guys to see if they can drum up some, drum up some support for it as well. Sounds great, guys. Well, I hope you, uh, hope you have me back for, for another uh, Corey Stories. And um, I'll keep, I keep writing down some good ones. But, it, you know, today, all of a sudden, those two Dave stories just popped in my mind. So, um, we'll keep them coming. That's what it's about, man. You know, you can come with a plan, but honestly, just hearing you tell the Dave Andrews story is just absolutely <laughs> incredible. What a super chill guy, chill, super normal, super calm. Uh, it's great to hear stuff like that. So thanks for doing it. We'll, we'll definitely have you back soon and uh, go Bearcats. Hopefully we, we get some wins against South Florida and Georgia this week. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get back on the right side of the wind column. <laughs>